Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Long Relief Podcast. Austin Dakota and Barrett Hodgson once again here with you to take you through all the latest in the world of Major League Baseball. Barrett, welcome back to episode two. How you been? I've been great. It's been a great World Series so far and a great wrap-up to the ALCS and LCS. So let's get to talking about it. Yeah, so a lot ahead in the baseball world for the World Series. But first, we've had some news breaking in the MLB world the last couple of weeks. It's been, you know, this is one of the slower times because the offseason hasn't started yet, but some of the eliminated teams are making moves. And one of those moves were the St. Louis Cardinals. As we know, they fired their manager, uh, Mike Schilt, earlier after the Cardinals lost in the playoffs to the Dodgers. And then they actually made a hire by hiring Oliver Marmol Barrett. We don't know, or at least I don't know, too much about him. I know it was kind of a higher out of left field, I guess. He's only 35 years old, but what are your thoughts on this signing? Yeah, Marmol was their bench coach this year. So to me, uh, they fired Schilt because of the disagreement in analytics. My guess is he's going to be kind of uh, controlled by the front office and analytics. Um, he's a young manager with not a lot of experience, so I don't think he's really going to challenge their analytic beliefs. And I think that's kind of what they were looking for. And my guess is he probably had a good relationship with a lot of the players being only 35. Yeah, it seems like the Cardinals are switching directions a bit. You had Schilt as kind of a veteran guy, uh, somebody with some of those kind of old-school beliefs maybe, but he still had a team that had an incredible run at the end of the year. Now they go with the younger 35-year-old Marmol, and it, it, like you said, it kind of seems like he's the, the guy who's going to be doing the heavy lifting for the front office with the players and kind of dealing with the lineups. And, you know, I feel like he's going to get a stat sheet and says, hey, this is your lineup today, and he's not even going to really set the lineup. It's going to be based on the analytics. Yeah, I agree. And last week we talked about a lot how some teams are going to these younger managers, but we saw a resurgence in some of the older managers like Tony La Russa. And I think the Cardinals just experienced an older manager in Schilt, and they're, they're going to try the young thing and go in the analytic route. So while the Cardinals go younger and more analytical, we have the Padres who might be taking a bit of a step back and uh, bringing back an, an old-time veteran in Ozzie Guillen. Now, they haven't hired him, but they did have an interview with him. Somebody whose name we haven't heard in a couple of years. I think his last stint was with the Marlins, if I'm not mistaken. And was that that disastrous team where they went and got Jose Reyes and Josh Johnson and put together that squad? Yeah, that was the Ozzie Guillen Marlins. Um, I think it's definitely an interesting candidate for the Padres. Um, I saw a lot of stuff about how they like Guillen because he has a really strong connection with Manny Machado and he's going to also have a strong connection with some of the foreign players on their team, like Fernando Tatis. Um, so I guess it makes sense in that way, but I don't know if Guillen's days are uh, still around in the MLB. He kind of had a poor last few years kicking around. So we'll see what the Padres do there. Yeah. He's made some headlines and they're not exactly for great reasons. I think he's been kind of one of the, uh, old school, you know, hard, tough on the players manager. But if you get the right players to respond to that, uh, it can be very successful. I think he had a pretty decent run in Chicago. Um, but I don't know if the players in this current MLB are guys that are going to respond to, like, the tough love strategy. Yeah, I agree. And that Padres team especially, you saw some some clubhouse turmoil towards the end of the year. I mean, you had Machado and Tatis yelling each other on the bench. Uh, the starters that they traded for didn't live up to expectations, and the bullpen wasn't very good either. So that team kind of just fell apart, and I don't know if what they need is tough love or if they need if they will respond well to that. Well, we'll see if they end up going with Guillen. Maybe they go in a different route, but the Padres are yet to make a decision on their manager. But 
Switching gears to the AL, a team who's already made their decision is the Yankees by extending Aaron Boone to a three-year deal. We talked about that on last week's episode of the podcast. But another thing the Yankees are making headlines for this week, or one of their players, Anthony Rizzo, who is an impending free agent, uh, is reportedly eager to re-sign with the Yankees, Barrett. He didn't have uh, necessarily a great second half when, once he was traded there, but I think he's still a very valuable fee, uh, piece and somebody who will be coveted in free agency, whether he goes back to New York or decides to go somewhere else. Yeah, I think New York makes a lot of sense for him. Obviously, with that short porch and right field, being a lefty, um, he probably wants to play there because his numbers might look a little bit better. Um, and I probably think he enjoyed the clubhouse setting he was in. Now, I think if they re-sign Rizzo, he's probably the everyday first baseman, and they probably move on from Luke Voigt and some sort of trade or some somehow. Um, but I think Rizzo back to the Yankees makes a lot of sense, and I think he's a valuable player still despite his getting older in his career. We'll see what he ends up doing in free agency. I know there'll be multiple teams in the market for a left-handed hitting first baseman. Uh, whether he goes back to the Yankees or not, that remains to be seen. But Barrett, one more uh, news item of the week that we didn't have on our agenda. I forgot about and wanted to cover. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. PETA, the organization, uh, wants MLB Major League Baseball to stop using the term bullpen because it's offensive to cows and they want to switch over to the term arm barn. Did you see that headline this afternoon? Yes, I did see that this afternoon. Um, it's a funny name, Armbarn. Uh, I don't think the MLB has to change their name of the bullpen. It's been the bullpen forever. <laughs> I don't think a lot of people get um, triggered by the name, but clearly some people do. I doubt they end up changing it, but it's just kind of one of those quirky headlines. We'll see what happens with it. No, I just can't imagine, you know, it'd be so different hearing saying, oh, you know, somebody's warming up in the arm barn. It just seems a little bit silly. You don't, you know. Yeah, it, it just kind of sounds like a joke when you hear it. Yeah, I, I saw some other suggestions too about uh, uh, like the starter's charter or something about how it's guys coming after the starter. But I don't understand how bullpen's really that offensive or if some people take offense to it, that's you know, their opinion. But it's, uh, it's something that's been that way for a long time and definitely not a headline I was expecting to see today. No, I kind of came completely out of left field, and <laughs> I didn't even know what to think when I saw it. I thought I actually thought it was a joke at first, and then I fact-checked it, and it's actually <laughs> a real thing. And um, so it'll be interesting to see if the MLB even has a response to that. I doubt they will. Um, it's probably something that they just ignore, but if it gets enough traction, then they're going to have to respond to it. It'll be interesting to see what Manfred has to say. Well, we will keep you updated here on the Long Release Podcast if the arm barn gets any traction or not. But something that didn't get much traction was the Red Sox offense in the ALCS, Barrett. We haven't had a chance to recap that series. Last time we talked here on the Long Release Podcast, the Sox were up 2-1 uh, to one in that series, I believe, or it was tied 2-2. Two -two. Um, and the Sox, unfortunately, uh, weren't able to beat the Astros. They go home. And what's your overall takeaway from that series? Uh, the offense disappeared, and Houston's pitching showed up, which I think was interesting. Personally, I don't understand how a guy like Luis Garcia can jump five miles per hour in his fastball and a start. Uh, that was a little fishy to me, but the thing is, during the season, Framber Valdez and Luis Garcia shut down the Red Sox. They had, a, they had a series when they were in Houston, and both those guys went six or seven innings and shut down the offense. Um, the only thing that was different was that Garcia was throwing much harder. 
um, and Framber was seeming to control all his pitches perfectly. Uh, I saw something that they switched up their signs. Um, so maybe when a guy got on second base for the Red Sox or something, it was making them feel uncomfortable, and they changed their set of signs up, and the Red Sox scored one run after that. Um, so I think that could be a factor. But the bats just – they weren't there for the Red Sox, and Houston, Houston came alive once they went back home. Yeah, and as much as people can point some blame at Red Sox pitching for allowing the Astros to score a decent amount of runs, if you're not going to score, you're going to score two runs or so. You're not going to win many baseball games. No matter how good or bad your pitching is, you need to score more than two runs or no runs to win a game. And I think one thing you mentioned that was interesting is Luis Garcia and his fastball. It's just so unnatural for a guy between starts to jump velocity three to three miles an hour, five miles an hour on his fastball. You, you don't see that. You mean, you see consistent growth typically with guys, you know, come into the league, throwing 96, and then, you know, by year two or three, maybe they're up to 98, up to 99. But you don't see somebody go start to start uh, changing their velocity. And even when you do, you know, you might see guys come in and overthrow a bit. They come in, they, they throw 99 all game, and they're missing the strike zone wildly. He came in was throwing three to five miles an hour faster than he ever has in his career and seemed to have decent control with it, which didn't really make sense to me. I don't think I've ever seen something like that. And I don't, I don't know that the Astros were doing anything suspicious or not. I mean, it, it definitely poses some questions that I think need to be looked at in terms of how is that possible and what did he change from one start to the other that got him three miles an hour of velocity and why is no other pitcher doing that? It's just a very weird kind of circumstance that we don't really see ever. Yeah, and the crazy part is he left game two with what they call an injury. So it just really makes – like when you factor that into it, then it makes absolutely no sense at all. Because if, you're, if the guy's banged up and he leaves the game and he comes back and he's throwing five miles per hour harder, which he's never done in his entire career, that should raise some eyebrows. And I'm not going to accuse them that they did something or anything, but I'd definitely like to see like a sports science or something that would maybe explain it a little bit better for me. Uh, I just think it's really confusing that a guy is able to do that. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is like a, a drastic change in his mechanics, which didn't really look like there was much of a change in his delivery or anything like that. But in why would it be addressed now when you get to the ALCS and all of a sudden they discover three miles an hour? It doesn't seem like something that would happen. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see where Garcia goes from here, how he pitches in the World Series. We talked about how Framber Valdez was solid. And a guy who wasn't all that good was for Boston, Chris Sale. I mean, how concerned with Chris Sale are you, Barrett, for his long-term future in baseball? Uh, I'm a little concerned, obviously, because he was coming off Tommy John surgery. I don't think they rushed him back necessarily, but I think he kind of ramped himself up a little fast. Um, I think he was overthrowing a little bit at times and he was missing his spots and he was walking a lot of guys. And I think it'll be good that he did log innings this season. So I think with a full off season of him working his way back again and getting back to consistently starting going five innings, six innings in a game, uh, he'll still be a solid pitcher. I don't know if we'll ever see the dominant Chris Dale that we saw in 2018. Um, but I think he'll still be a solid piece on a, on a good baseball team. Yeah, and you mentioned how he'll be a solid piece. And in that rotation, I think, with Sale, Rodriguez, and Evaldi, that's a pretty solid top three. It's probably not the best in the league, but it's a, definitely a feasible top three. If Erod can kind of bounce back and find some consistency, you had Evaldi obviously having a stellar season overall. And if those three can be solid, you fill in the four and the five slots. I think 
Tanner Houck might be a candidate to start long-term. The Red Sox aren't that far off from repeating their success from this year or if not improving for next year. Yeah, I agree. We'll probably see Houck in the rotation. Um, Eddie Rodriguez, he's a free agent, so there's talks of him most likely taking the qualifying offer, and if he doesn't, then he's going to end up somewhere new. Um, but I think he's probably a fit in Boston next year again. Uh, and then another name that they've talked about starting games is Garrett Whitlock, and we saw him as uh, probably our best reliever this season as a Red Sox fan. But before the year, he came into – when you pitch for the Yankees, before he got selected in the draft, of the Rule 5 draft, he was a starter. So there's talks of Whitlock possibly making his way to the rotation. So I think between him and Hulk, you have two young guys that you can kind of look forward to. And then if you lose Z-Rod, you probably go sign a different uh, solid number three starter out there. But I think the rotation is going to be good. I think the bullpen is definitely something that they're going to need to address, though, especially if they're going to move Hulk and Whitlock into some sort of starter role. It seems like a lot of teams in the offseason are going to be uh, looking for bullpen pieces. I mean, you have the Red Sox. Obviously, the Phillies had a terrible bullpen again. I think the Yankees are going to look to add a little bit to their pen. Um, but I don't think there's going to be that many pieces out there in free agency bullpen-wise. I know Kenley Jansen's a free agent. Um, but overall, I mean, it looks like there's going to be some overspending on mediocre bullpen pieces because teams are in such a big need of these bullpen arms. And the Red Sox are one of them. Uh, and with, like you mentioned, if you move Whitlock and Hulk to the rotation, you're losing probably your two best relievers. Matt Barnes collapsed in the second half and wasn't even on the roster for the ALCS. And you have Salamora was an okay piece, I thought, Ottavino. But those are guys that I don't think you can depend on for next year if you have them back in the roster. No, I don't think they're wicked dependable guys either. And that's why I think it, that's something that will need to be addressed, either an overspend and free agency or maybe they sign a star, guy who's usually a starter and move him to the bullpen or even go out and make a trade. I mean, I think bullpens are a very important thing to getting to the World Series. And we saw that in the ALCS and the NLCS with the Astros. Their bullpen, like, they didn't get good starts their first three games, and their bullpen kept them alive. And then they finally got that good start, and their bullpen was virtually untouchable after that. Well, it should be interesting to see what the Sox do, but the Astros will keep playing on. They'll be facing the Braves in the World Series, which we'll get to in just a minute. But the Braves, on the other side of things, have shocked a lot of people after being under 500 at the trade deadline. They go out, they add Jorge Soler, Jock Peterson, uh, Adam Duvall as well. They add all these pieces uh, to a team who was, I believe, third in their division at the time, and they make an incredible run in now in the World Series, and they're looking pretty good. In that Dodgers series, I was shocked to see the Braves beat the Dodgers, and that is just a major disappointment to see the Dodgers lose. Yeah, I agree. That Dodgers team on paper was one of the best teams possibly ever assembled. Um, I think the Braves did get a little help with Max Scherzer having arm fatigue, and he was unable to go game six. Um, but the Braves earned it. I mean, Eddie Rosario was absolutely insane that whole series. You have the former MVP and Freddie Freeman – who's a tough guy to pitch to. Peterson's been good all October. The, the bats in that lineup have just been really good, and their bullpen's been solid. So if they have a start that doesn't go five, six innings, their bullpen's been reliable. Yeah, and we saw in that series with the Dodgers, the errors by Trey Turner were pretty costly. Uh, he also wasn't exactly electric at the plate, batting under 250 in the playoffs. And that trade for the Dodgers at one point looked like one of the best trades in baseball, and now people are looking at it like, well, it didn't pay off, and the Nationals made away okay, I think, and 
for Max Scherzer after the injury or the arm fatigue, I mean, I think that's going to hurt his value in free agency. Uh, and the Dodgers are also staring down the possibility of losing Corey Seager as well. So it could be a very uh, long and difficult offseason for Dodger fans. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if they lose Corey Seager, then Turner will switch over to his natural position as shortstop. So maybe those errors don't happen when he's playing shortstop and whatnot. But I think they could definitely lose Max Scherzer. I don't know if he's a long-term piece there. Like you said, Kenley Jansen's a free agent. I'd assume he resigns, but anything could happen. And uh, they're losing a couple of their bench bats to Pujols. We don't know if he'll be back. He, he had a couple of good games in the playoffs. So it could be a very difficult offseason, especially when you have guys aging another year, like Justin Turner. We saw him get hurt, and he was out for the whole playoffs. How does he bounce back for another year on his, uh, on his plate? So it'll be interesting to see how the Dodgers respond to such a tough series against the Braves. Yeah, the Dodgers, unfortunately, going home to play some golf while Atlanta goes to meet the Astros in the World Series. And Barrett, looking at that World Series, it wasn't something that I don't think a lot of people predicted before the season started. I know Atlanta was uh, up there with the Mets as favorites to win the NL East. But I think as the season progressed, you were looking at it like the Astros weren't off to an electric start. The Braves were struggling and these two teams have gotten hot at the right time. And these two infields, I know a lot of people have talked about it. Uh, are some of the best infields we've seen uh, in baseball. You have the Braves with Austin Riley at third, having a pretty close to an MVP season. Dansby Swanson at short with 27 homers over at second, Ozzie Albies. And of course, uh, the 2021 MVP and Freddie Freeman at first. That's an incredibly talented group on that infield. And the Astros are no slouches either with uh, Bregman, Correa, Altuve, and Gurriel. And it's been an interesting debate I've seen uh, which infield people think are better in this matchup. And I wanted to get your thoughts on which infield you think has the edge in the World Series. I think the Astros infield's just a little bit better. Um, overall, I just think the bats between Bregman, Altuve, Correa, and then Gurriel, he, he hits 300. So it's not like he's a slouch at the plate either. Um, defensively, it might go to the Braves, but I think the bats are just too much to say that for – Houston to say that the Braves infield's better. And the Braves got an absolutely huge boost from Austin Riley, who's been a stud all season long. He was a pretty highly touted prospect, I think, coming up from the minors. And he did disappoint a bit. He didn't exactly fulfill his potential the first couple of years, but all of a sudden turns things around a bit, becomes a mainstay in the middle of the order, and hits 303 with 33 homers this season. I mean, where did the ascension come from for Austin Riley? And is this something that you see – carrying over into next year I do think this will carry over because I think he figured something out I think maybe a hitting coach saw some film or something and they fit they tweaked the swing a little bit um, he's not striking out as much and he's not flying out as much and he's just making better overall contact so I think he made an adjustment to a swing I think it's definitely something that could carry over and he played he's looked pretty good defensively at third base too yeah Riley's becoming a consistent all-around type player and I think he's gotten some comparisons to Nolan Arenado a little bit. Uh, obviously, I think Arenado's defense as a multi-time gold glove winner is uh, still much ahead of Riley's, but I can definitely see the potential there. And he's helped his team tie the series, or they got out to a 1-0 start, but tied 1-1 uh, after leaving Houston uh, isn't a bad place to be. No, it is not a bad place to be because they'll go back to Atlanta, but I do think it's going to hurt them. The Charlie Morton injury, he's out for the, out for the World Series. Uh, he gave a gutsy performance, got three outs on a broken leg. 
But I think that's a really tough guy to lose in a World Series that's essentially a best of five now. Well, that's the big thing. With, with Morton being gone out of the picture, you can't rely on him. Uh, he's going to make at least one more start was what was planned, uh, if not multiple, because you bring him in out of the bullpen, maybe on short rest down the stretch too if the series goes that long. But now you're without probably your best pitcher, if not your second best with Ian Anderson uh, being up there as well. And Max Freed, those two guys are been studs all season long. But on a Friday night, tomorrow night, we will see Luis Garcia versus Ian Anderson uh, in this matchup in Atlanta. And Anderson's had a pretty solid playoff run so far. He's 1-0 with a 2.25 ERA in 12 innings. Garcia has a 9.64 ERA in nine and a thirds. Obviously, both those starts against the Red Sox got absolutely crushed in one. Comes back, we talked about his dominance in the second start. Uh, who has the edge in this matchup, in your opinion, Barrett? I think the Braves have the edge in game three with Anderson on the mound at home. Anderson's been really good, like you said, this playoff run. And I think he probably knows that they need a good start out of him because mm-hmm. they don't really have a true number four starter. It's probably going to be a guy like Yanoa or kind of a bullpen game. And I think Anderson knows that he's going to need to give him six or seven innings in this game to set him up for success further on in the series. So I think the edge goes to Anderson at home. Yeah, and the Braves are a team who play really well at home. They've uh, played well throughout this playoffs at home. And with that lineup, I think if Anderson can just give them six innings of even three-run baseball, they'll stay alive. He doesn't have to throw six shutout innings or, you know, be completely dominant. Because I can see this Braves lineup breaking out a bit here in game three and putting some runs on the board. But if you're the Astros, I think you have to get to Anderson early because if you – fall behind and you're down 2 nothing. you're going to get to that bullpen, uh, bullpen with Maztec and uh, Minter, and they have some pretty good arms out there uh, that are going to come in and shut the door on you. So if you're the Astros, you have to get to Anderson early if you want a shot in game three. Yeah, I agree. And something I've, I think is interesting is how who do we see in that Astros lineup tomorrow? There's no DH in this game. Mm. So are we going to see a Kyle Tucker in center field and they take McCormick out of the lineup? Because obviously you want – um, ALCS MVP, Jordan Alvarez in the lineup. So what do you think the lineup's going to be tomorrow? What do you think the outfield looks like for the Astros? Well, it's, it's a tough call because you need Alvarez's bat. And I think we saw this with the Red Sox very briefly uh, back when David Ortiz was DHing and you had that conundrum come up and they'd do their best to get Ortiz. I think Alvarez starts the game uh, in the outfield. And if he plays, I think, between six and seven innings, kind of what the Sox did with Kyle Schwarber at times. If you can get ahead early, because you need Brantley in the lineup too and left, you need Alvarez out and right. If you can get up and get to a, even a 3 nothing lead, I think you see him pulled relatively quickly. I don't think Dusty Baker will be afraid to do that. But you just his bat is too important to not have in the lineup. So you shift Tucker over to center. You might be giving up a little bit of defense doing that, but you just can't have Jordan Alvarez on the bench. I mean, that would just be – a complete travesty, and I think they take the similar to the Ortiz approach of having him in there and having a, a, a quick hook if the game, you know, if you get up 4 nothing at some point or you know, you're looking to lock it down the, the eighth and the ninth, I think he comes out for a defensive replacement, but his bat has to be in the lineup. Yeah, I could definitely see that being the alignment in the outfield as well. Uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if it, if it bites him a little bit and if there's a gap shot or something. Obviously, Alvarez and Brantley aren't the fastest guys and left and right. I haven't seen a lot of Tucker in center, so it'll be interesting to see how they play defensively in the outfield and if that affects them. 
Well, you got to think they, they have to play deep. The Braves can run well, I think, throughout their lineup with Albies, uh, Swanson. Even Peterson can get around the bases. Solaire is a decent runner. Rosario, none of these guys are, you know, Billy Hamilton speed, but they're all relatively good base runners. So I think they're going to have to play deep, which could also come back to hurt Garcia uh, because we've seen what happened with him. If he can allow a couple of base runners, things can kind of spiral for him. So you might be seeing some bloop singles drop, and it will be interesting to see how Garcia responds on the mound to that adjustment behind him. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um... He has a great defensive infield behind him, so I'm curious if he tries to get the Braves lineup to hit a lot of ground balls, something like that, but I would assume that he's going to try to avoid letting them get balls in the air because that's how you can get hurt. Yeah, I mean, with Alvarez, he's kind of similar, I think, to Eloy Jimenez in Chicago for the White Sox. We saw uh, Jimenez, Terrace Peck in spring training trying to rob a home run. I think Dusty Baker and his ability to be uh, kind of like a mentor and Obviously, he's done an incredible job with his team. He's going to have a long conversation with Jordan about defense and about what's expected in this game. And I kind of expect it to go along the lines of, you're not taking any chances out there. I just need you to get us, you know, do make the plays that come to you. You don't need to do anything spectacular. And we just need your bat in that lineup. Yeah, I think that's definitely the conversation that needs to happen. And I don't really know if – I don't think Alvarez has played much right this year. I think he's played a lot of left, like him and Brantley – have switched off at the DH spot at times. So I'm curious to see how he even looks in right field because he hasn't played there a lot. Yeah, I mean, I could also see them switching Brantley to right if needed. I guess it depends on the lineup because the the, the lineup they're going to go with with Garcia on the mound, you're, you're going to see a decent amount of left-handed uh, hitting still with that Braves lineup, obviously with Freddie Freeman being in it. But if – they're on Garcia's fastball. Freeman could be pulling the ball to right field. So do you really want Alvarez out there? Or uh, would you rather have Brantley out there? With Garcia being uh, a solid starter, throwing right-handed, um, you know, like I said, the Braves are going to try to stack that lineup with, I think, left-handed hitting. Jock Peterson will definitely be in there. Uh, and you could see a lot of balls hit the right field if they're on that fastball. Yeah, between those two guys you just mentioned, Eddie Rosario, Ozzy Alves, that – Right field could be a hot spot during this game. So it'll definitely be interesting to see if Dusty Baker puts Alvarez out there or if they move Brantley over to right field. I think it's just going to be a, a really interesting dynamic that happens in this game and, and games in the future because there's multiple games in Atlanta. Right. I guess it depends on how tonight or Friday night goes for them, but it's not like it's Little League. You can't just stick the worst defender out in right field and nobody's going to hit it there. It's not how it works in Major League Baseball, but – Alvarez has had to play some outfield in the past. And, I mean, it begs the question, do you try Alvarez at first base at any point? You know, if Gurriel, you think, could use a breather and try to stick him there. I don't think he has much experience at first base, but we saw it pay off for the Red Sox with Schwarber. Is that an avenue they could take? I think it is because I do remember he played a little bit of first base in spring training. Uh, he was getting work over there because he was coming off his knee injuries last season. Um, so I think he has had a little experience there but we didn't see it at all during the season. So maybe that experiment didn't go great. Maybe you see if, if Atlanta puts in a right-handed reliever and Gurriel's spot comes up in the order, maybe Gurriel gets subbed out for a left-handed bat and Jordan ends up moving to first base defensively next inning. But I don't know if we'll see Jordan starting many games at first base. Yeah, and for Dusty Baker, he'll have some decisions to make and 
He's had an incredible baseball career overall, winning a World Series before and now coming here to Houston uh, to try to win one here uh, in the American League. And is Dusty Baker, in your opinion, a Hall of Fame manager? Yeah, I think he definitely is. He's had a lot of success around the league between the Giants and the Nationals and now with the Astros. And I think he could cement his legacy even more with the World Series victory. Yeah, I think Baker's a guy who a lot of teams passed over for a couple of years as they went younger. We talked about this last week. They come back and the Astros find he's the right guy for this situation, right, with the cheating allegations. And you need somebody to be steady and right the ship. And Baker was the right hire for them. And Snicker's been incredible for the Braves all season, too, a guy who's spent his entire life essentially in the Braves organization as a player for four years in the minors, then as a coach. And Snicker, a guy that is a finalist, I think, for uh, NL Coach of the Year, Barrett, as we segue kind of over into the uh, awards that recap the season. Let's start with Coach of the Year. Let's start in the NL. And I know you talked about Snicker as a candidate and somebody that you like to possibly win the award. Yeah, I like Snicker. I think he's done a great job all year, especially when you looked at this team in August and they were they were at 500. And something happened, the trade deadline, he started managing his lineups and he dealt with pitching injuries throughout the season. Uh, they missed Anderson for a little bit. They missed Fried for a little bit. Um, so I just think Snicker's done a really good job managing this team. Uh, between They've had a lot of injuries, especially with Acuna. When you lose one of the best players in the league, and you can make it to the World Series, obviously your manager's doing something right. Yeah, I mean, I lost to Cunha in fantasy baseball and quit that essentially. So for these players to <laughs> lose their best player and not give up on the season is, is pretty impressive for these guys to go on the run they did. And Snitker's done a nice job. I think he's also saved his job by this World Series run. Not that he was necessarily on the hot seat, but if the Braves didn't win the division, didn't get in the playoffs, there's a pretty good chance he's gone because – They've had the expectation to win the division. They've won the division the last uh, handful of years. So I think he might have saved his job by going on this run. I agree because I definitely think if this team doesn't make the playoffs, he's probably gone. And he did such a great job managing his way to the World Series. And a win, I think, would cement him a couple more years with the Braves. So your pick for NL Manager of the Year is Snicker. And uh, mine will be Gabe Kapler with the San Francisco Giants. Uh, the only active manager who looks like he can suit up and still play uh, a guy who has turned around a giants team who nobody expected to be as good as they were 107 wins to win the NL West and uh, have a, a disappointing end of their season in the playoffs. But Kapler, a guy who uh, managed a first place team, the best team in baseball, essentially. And unfortunately for him, they didn't, they came up short in the playoffs, but these awards aren't really based off the playoffs or based off regular season success. So in my eyes, I think Kapler might end up getting that manager of the year gig based on the roster that he has. Yeah, I could definitely see that too, because that team, I mean, it has guys like Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford, but it doesn't have any superstars in that lineup. So I think Kapler did a really good job. I think he had a really good clubhouse and he connected well with the players and that that led them to win 107 games and be the best team in baseball. So I think Cap was definitely somebody who could win the award as well. In moving over into the American League side, we have a few different candidates, I think, for American League Manager of the Year, Barrett. Uh, I'll give you my pick before we get into yours. I'm going to actually go with Dusty Baker of the Astros. They win the division, 95 games. And I don't necessarily think that – he had a better year as a manager than maybe Alex Cora did because I know he's a lot of people's picks. But I think the media 
who decide this are going to vote for Baker. They're big Dusty Baker fans, and I think they're going to kind of fall into the 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 idea that Dusty Baker deserves it over Cora because of Cora's suspension before and how he's a cheater. I can just see some guys not voting for Cora because of his past. Yeah, I could see that as well. And Baker, like you said, the media likes him. He says all the right things. He seems to make a lot of right calls when he's managing a game. So I think Baker's definitely a good choice for manager of the year. Uh, my pick's Alex Cora, uh, being a Boston fan and just seeing what he did with this this year with this team. The Red Sox didn't really have much expectations going into the year and to make a run to the ALCS and just win over 90 games in the season with that roster, missing Chris Sale half the year and dealing with a COVID outbreak right in the middle of the season. Uh, I think Cora did a really good job, but I do think it could hurt him his past. I agree. Yeah, and not that it was expected for Cora to, to turn around and fix this kind of disaster that the Red Sox had the year before. But I think a lot of people were like, okay, the players respect Alex. They play hard for him. It's going to be a different year. But I still don't think a lot of people expected them to perform as well as they did, especially with that late season collapse that he had. But I think he's definitely a guy that should not be overlooked. I think if you look at the other teams around the league, I mean, I can't see Aaron Boone winning it. They were a disappointment all season. Kevin Cash, I think the Rays performed two expectations in a lot of ways. So I think it's really down to Cora, Baker, possibly Tony La Russa. I mean, they were a first-place team, but I think they're in the worst division in baseball, in my opinion. Um, So I think Cora and Baker are the two candidates that I can get narrowed down to. Yeah, and I agree with that, and I think both of the guys are deserving of the award. I mean, they were the final two managers in the AL. Obviously, they knew what they were doing, and uh, I think it'll be interesting to see who wins the award because I think they're really both deserving. The next award we'll take a look at is the Rookie of the Year Award. So Rookie of the Year is kind of a loose term for this year's list of candidates for the American League Barrett. Uh, yes, they're technically rookies, but Randy Arena, the guy who – has headlined the list has feel like it's been playing in the league for about two years now because he has been in two sets of playoffs. I mean, he was incredible in the playoffs last year. Uh, even this year he was all right in that Rays Red Sox series, but I think he's one of the front runners for it, even though, you know, he's not a rookie in many people's eyes. Yeah, I agree. My picks are Rosarena cause he, he qualifies. Um, he's just been a great player. He's a quality guy in that lineup. Uh, if he didn't qualify, my pick would be Wander Franco. Uh, but I just don't think he played enough games. I know he had the impact that you need to win rookie of the year when he was on the field. But I just think a Rosarina's sample size is way too big in order for him to not win it. One guy a lot of people like as well was Adolis Garcia, who came out of nowhere for the Texas Rangers. Garcia was in the Cardinals system at one point and then exploded for an incredible season, uh, batting 243, 31 homers for Garcia. But he is a little bit older at age uh, 28, I believe, but he's still eligible for Rookie of the Year. And comparing him to a Rosarena, a Rosarena with 274 average, 20 homers. So he's batting really 30 points higher than Garcia, who's another candidate. And you mentioned Wander Franco. I mean, he is a superstar in the making, I think. At age 20, batted 288, seven homers, 39 RBI, uh, and had an overall pretty good season defensively. And I think he's somebody that AL East fans, you know, Red Sox fans, Yankees fans, are going to get real tired of very quickly. Yeah, if, if that guy can stay healthy, he's, he has best player in the league, top five player in the league written all over him. So he's going to be trouble for a long time. And it's probably his award to lose going into next year because he's going to be eligible next year for it. 
kind of like a Rosarena is this year. Um, but Adolis Garcia, I think it's going to be interesting with him to see if he carries over next year, if he has another good season. He seemed to slow down a little bit after the All-Star break this year. So I think it'll be interesting to see if the Rangers get some other bats in their lineup to kind of help protect him because he seemingly is the only guy in that lineup. So we have a Rosarena, Garcia, Franco as some of the finalists or some of our top picks for the AL Rookie of the Year. Barrett's going with the Rosarena. I'm going to go with Franco even though I'm not necessarily locked in that he's going to win it. He's my pick to win it and the guy I think that should win it. Um, but I think a Rosarena is probably the most likely candidate to win that award for the American League. And taking a look now, Barrett, at the National League here on the Long Relief Podcast, we're looking at the NL Rookie of the Year candidates. Uh, number one on the list is Jonathan India. And this NL race isn't exactly entirely that exciting, I guess you could say. Yeah, I'd agree. It's not that exciting. You have India. You have Trevor Rogers. Um, my pick's India. I had India on my fantasy baseball team, and I enjoyed watching him all season, put together a 2020 season. Uh, I think he'll be a mainstay with the Reds for years to come. Uh, he played second base. He played a little bit of third base. I just think he's a versatile guy who's a quality MLB player. And considering he didn't have a ton of competition for this award, I think it's kind of his. Yeah, the only other real candidate that I've seen people talk about was Trevor Rogers, the starter with the Marlins, who's had a pretty solid year. Uh, in technically his first year. He made seven starts last year in 2020. So this being his rookie year, named to the all-star team because every team needs to have one all-star. So the Marlins get Rodgers. Uh, and he went 7-8, and eight, a 2-6-4 ERA, 133 innings on 25 starts. And everything was pretty good for his stats. I mean, nothing eye-popping, I don't think. I mean, his, his, his whip was pretty solid at 1.1. His strikeouts were good at 157 and 133 innings. But – I think a lot of times uh, writers and voters kind of tend to lean on the hitters as most valuable because they're going out there pretty much every day and playing. And a lot of pitchers are only making 25 to 32 starts, I guess, at most in a year. So it's kind of hard to see Rodgers winning it with only 133 innings pitched. I think he's a great candidate for it, but I'm going to have to agree with you. And my pick is also going to be Jonathan India. Yeah. I mean, Rodgers, he has a solid year. I think he's a very solid player overall. I just think India's season was a little bit too much. Like you said, he played every day. Uh, the Reds were in contention for a while, so I think that also kind of helps. He was a leadoff hitter on a contending team. You had Rodgers, like you said. You, you have to have an all-star, so he was an all-star on one of the worst teams in the league. Would he have been there? Maybe, maybe not, if that rule wasn't in place. Uh, but I think India's season was just too much uh, for Rodgers to steal this award from him. Well, it should be interesting to see what happens with the awards. Those are coming up in just a couple of weeks. The MLB will get ready to wrap up their season. They're beginning to announce the finalists for Gold Glover, Silver Slug as well. So they're posting all those on their social media as they narrow it down a bit. But, Barrett, before we wrap things up on tonight's episode of the Long Relief Podcast, let's give our final thoughts and predictions for the World Series. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but let's circle back and give our final predictions. As of this recording, the series is tied at 1-1, one -one, uh, Braves-Astros. Who is your pick to win the World Series and how many games? Uh, I want to say the Braves. I want the Braves to win it, but I think the Morton injury is too much. I'm going to go with Houston in six. I think they win it when they go back home to Houston at Minute Maid. I think they take two or three in Atlanta. Yeah, it's going to be a good series. I, I'm going to go the Braves. I think the Braves, 
as much as the Morton injury is going to be really devastating, they rallied around Acuna earlier. Uh, Snitker's brought Acuna with them. He's brought uh, Soroka with them. That's a little bit of extra motivation. I think Morton's speech at the end of his game to his teammates uh, is going to give them a lot of motivation. I think they've been counted out before, and they're going to kind of rally a bit. And I think being in Atlanta for the next couple of games is going to be huge for them. I think they can win two out of three. You go back to Houston, you're leading the series 3-2, and I think anything can happen once you get to game six or seven. So I'm going to go Braves in seven because I think it's going to go down to the wire, and I think the Braves just have that magic that you need. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. I really hope you're right because I love I love this Braves team. I love what they've done with all the injuries. I like the manager. Um, I just I don't think I can get over that more an injury in order to pick them to win. I think it's going to be too much to lose a guy like that. This is just such a lose-lose situation, though, for me as a Phillies fan because I look at it, I can't <laughs> stand the Astros for what they essentially did in a lot of ways, and I think they're a pretty uh, an organization that I'll never really be able to root for. And then I'm a, as a Phillies fan, I watched the Braves decimate the Phillies the last four years and win the division. And I'm like, well, how can I pick them to win over over the Astros? It's very difficult of a choice to make. But at the end of the day, I'd rather, I think, see the Braves win. I mean, I'm a, I like Freddie Freeman as a player. I think he's a good guy. Uh, he's worked real hard his entire career and deserves to get one. And it, w- it would hurt for the Phillies, uh, you know. But I think as a fan of baseball, I'd rather see the Braves win it. Yeah, and it's the same thing for me, uh, not in terms of the Phillies fandom, but as a fan of baseball, I want to see the Braves win. I like a ton of guys on that team. Uh, I think they're a hardworking team, as we've seen what they've overcome. And I just don't really like the Astros for what they've been a part of. I mean, some of those guys, I don't really like their attitudes, but that's, they kind of embrace that villain role, which I guess is cool in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll you kind of have uh, – the villains versus the heroes in this World Series, it kind of feels like. In, if, in your eyes, villains versus heroes, yeah, I don't know. It's more like villains versus, like, less of a villain for me. I mean, they're, <laughs> both, they're both still, like, a lose-lose, but as a baseball fan, it's, it's, I guess I can consider the Braves winning it to be a win, and it should be interesting to see how that World Series wraps up. Uh, game three coming up on Friday night. Uh, Barrett, final thoughts for today's episode of the Long Relief Podcast. Uh, I'm just looking forward to this uh, last weekend of baseball in this World Series. I hope we have a lot of good stuff and a lot of good games to talk about next week. Yeah, the baseball season is slowly winding down. I'm hoping that we get a good World Series, and I'm hoping, I don't know if you saw the headlines, we'll squeeze this in, that we avoid an MLB lockout in December. I know they've started to talk about it, but, you know, I'm just hoping we get a good last week and we don't have any lockout happening. Yeah, I agree 100% with that. That'd That'd be a disappointment. We will keep you updated here on the Long Relief Podcast of all the latest MLB news, updates, signings, rumors, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us at Long Relief Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and we'll be having these podcasts wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, on Spotify, on Google. So be sure to check us out and don't forget to subscribe. For Barrett Hodgson, I'm Austin Dakuda signing off on this episode of the Long Relief Podcast. Thank you for watching.